0: Well, we're all familiar with the word disappointment. We've all experienced, uh, to varying degrees, times in which we may be disappointed. Uh, the, The Oxford English Dictionary defines the word disappointment as sadness or displeasure because one's hopes or expectations have not been fulfilled. Disappointment. Hold that thought uh, as you hear these brief words from the author Annie Dillard as she uh, describes and reflects on a childhood experience. She writes this There's one church here in town, so I go to it. On Sunday mornings, I leave the house, I wander down the hill to the white framed church in the firs. On a big Sunday, there might be 20 of us there. Often, I'm the only person under 60. And the members are of mixed denominations. The minister is a congregationalist. He wears a white shirt. The man knows God. Once in the middle of the long pastoral prayer, a prayer for God's justice in the world, uh, for hope and mercy to the grieving and the pained, uh, for help for the oppressed, grace for those in suffering. In the middle of that prayer, he stopped and he burst out Lord, why we bring you these same petitions week after week after week, the same requests week after week. After a shocked pause, he continued reading the prayer. And then she said, because of this, I like him very much. You see, this pastor uh, not only did something a little bit out of the norm or ordinary uh, kind of, Eruptive lament, expressing this sadness, maybe even disappointment, a questioning of things, but he was sincerely pouring out his heart to the Lord, and that was capturing moving to her. What do you do when disappointment comes knocking on the door of your life, when expectations are not fulfilled that you had? When you are feeling that you can no longer maintain a contented heart. When it does not feel well in your life or with your soul. That's where Psalm 13 is of great help to the people of God. This last text before we jump into the book of Proverbs next week. So if you turn to Psalm 13, it's just six verses long. And I think... Significant and relevant for us as God's people at this time. Psalm 13, verse 1. Listen now to God's word. David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted In your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I suspect that most of us view ourselves and those around us as generally nice people, normal people. I won't ask for a show of hands on that. Uh, Maybe there's one or two that you're in doubt about. But my personal experience has been really a cordiality, a friendliness among people. And that's true not only within the Church of Christ, but within uh, New England. I I know that before we moved to New England, a few had forewarned that New Englanders can be a little less approachable. But that's not really been our experience. Um, And of course, we know as believers... That God does not call people into his church because they are normal or because they are nice or friendly or because they have their lives kind of all uh, put together. That would be a great misunderstanding of the nature of the church and how the gospel reaches people. In fact, he frequently calls people who do not fit the norm in many ways, deeply broken Disturbed, fearful, anxious, unstable in life at times. I'm reminded of that chapter in C.S. Lewis's work, Mere Christianity, uh, entitled uh, Nice People or New Men. He's pointing out the fact that being nice or normal is not, not the same thing as being a Christian. And this is one of the great blessings of the Christian church and Christian faith, It is to be a welcome place and family for believers who are struggling, broken, disappointed at times, shaken in life. And here in Psalm 13, David does something a little bit out of the ordinary, out of the norm. But he does it amidst something that is common to all of us, that experience of disappointment, a questioning, instability distress he says how long o lord will you forget me forever and these are not only emotional questions that david has but he expresses in verse 4 being shaken he's not just asking questions that he might receive information or clarity from god he's asking questions expressing the inability to endure Any longer. As he says, light up my eyes lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's coming to his end, he feels. Psalm 13 is a lament. And uh, a lament is not only the expression of sorrow or distress, Uh, all of the world feels sorrow. Lament is turning that sorrow and that distress or feeling of loneliness into prayer unto God. And David indeed is doing that, reaching out, petitioning the Lord. And while David feels shaken, in this particular psalm, he's thinking very clearly. This psalm is laid out wonderfully with a clear flow to it. You see it's six verses long and it's broken up into three, really three parts. Verses one and two is David expressing these questions in this distress feeling of loneliness. Then he moves from that into his petitions in verse 3 and 4, the request to God. And then he ends in verse 5 and 6 with comfort, consolation, a recovered trust in the Lord. And so it flows very well. But there's an intensity in this particular psalm. And you see that intensity when you consider it in light of the previous psalm, Psalm 12, which was what we heard in our responsive reading earlier, the Old Testament reading. Psalm 12, like Psalm 13, is also a psalm of David and also a lament. David there is also feeling pressure, uh, distress, even loneliness. But where is that pressure coming from in Psalm 12? Well, look again at Psalm 12. Verse 1, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone. The faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips, the tongue that makes great boasts. Those who say, with our tongue we will prevail, our lips are with us. Who is master over us? David indeed feels pressure, loneliness, instability, but it's coming from people. It's coming from man. But as you move from Psalm 12 to 13, now he's feeling loneliness and distress, not because of mere man, but he has a question about God's presence, God's favor toward him. Perhaps this is a time, Psalm 12, the previous, in which... Uh, there was rebellion within the kingdom as David is king, people opposing him. But now in 13, he feels that perhaps God is absent, that God has somehow abandoned him, forgotten him, left him alone. And the repetition in verses 1 and 2 in his questions make it very clear what David, David's problem is and what trouble he's facing. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Time plays a part in this psalm. Time has taken a toll. It's one thing uh, to have a disagreement with another person, a friend, a brother or sister in Christ, parent child, but you reconcile quickly, you move beyond. It's another to be in a relationship that is important but is experiencing in an ongoing long-time discord or distrust. It's one thing to experience a short-lived uh, ailment or physical pain. It's another to be burdened with a chronic illness. When there seems to be no answer, no remedy. It's one thing to endure a flu or a cold season. It's another to be in a pandemic for 10 months. To experience the disruptive effects of a pandemic and the hard consequences from the choices of those in authority around us. One of the many things that David reminds us of in this psalm is that believers are not immune to pain, suffering, loss, depression, loneliness. But there's something wonderful and I think very freeing here in this psalm from David that gives us really deep insight into the nature of the hope that we have as believers. This is a hard psalm, but it is a hopeful psalm as it ends in verse 5 and 6 with trust and rejoicing and even singing And to get to that hope, consider David's questions. The first question David is asking is essentially, has God forgotten me? Is he hiding his face from me? David, perhaps more than anyone in the Old Testament, is someone who sought the presence of the Lord. It's reflected well in the 63rd Psalm of David, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. And David, as king, knew very well that uh, priestly blessing that we read in Numbers chapter 6, that priests would offer the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance or his face upon you and give you peace. Uh, particularly distressing for David was feeling sorrow and alone, not only as a, a general man of God, but one anointed by God as king. Lord, are you with us as our God? Are you for us? And the face of God here is language used to represent the very presence of the Lord if you've been apart from a loved one a child or parent or a spouse for an extended period of time you desire to see their face again not because when you see them you're just going to stare at their face the whole time but their face represents their presence that there's there's now a togetherness there's nothing separating us we're together our children have gotten into the practice on Sunday afternoons of having FaceTime with uh, their grandparents who are a few thousand miles away. But even with that distance, being able to see one's face provides a kind of comfort, a connection. We want to see one another. Well, David here is experiencing a dark cloud in his life. We don't know the particular circumstance, but he's questioning whether God is present. Has God forgotten him? He's down and he's wondering, how long until you continue to carry out your promises, Lord? That promise of peace for your people, the promise of progress within the kingdom of God. How long? Then a second question comes, how long must I take counsel in my heart and have sorrow all the day? How long must I take counsel within David does what most people do when they experience distress or pain. And we don't sense the smile or the favor of God. We turn inward. And that's what David does. How long must I take counsel in my own soul? What is he doing? He's talking to himself. Counselor Paul Tripp says, the most important voice that you hear every day is your own. And outside of the voice or the word of God, that is very true. We're constantly speaking to ourselves messages. David is doing that very thing. But David here in Psalm 13 is not speaking to himself in a very helpful way. There's a helpful way to talk to oneself in ways that are not helpful. A helpful way would be reflected in the 42nd psalm. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope in God. Telling himself where hope is. Pointing himself in the right direction. But David is telling himself here that he is without hope. He says, How long must I have sorrow in my heart all the day? I think the general human experience in the course of a day or a week is that we have kind of ups and downs we fluctuate our emotions fluctuate as we go through life but here david is now completely down and it's extending in time sorrow in my heart all the day how long O lord and then a third question How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? For David, this meant an opposition, not just to him on a personal level, but what he represented as God's chosen, anointed, greatly gifted king to extend his kingdom. And the things of God are not only being opposed, David's wondering, where is God in this? How is God in this? Why allow an enemy to exalt over me and apparently over your kingdom, O oh God? I suppose if you were with David, David and you were able to ask him how he was feeling, he would say something like, I have lost hope. I feel hopeless. And sometimes the people of God enter that valley and feel hopeless. But here's the wonderful thing, and that is, there is a significant difference between feeling hopeless and actually being in a hopeless state. And the psalm wonderfully, beautifully brings that out. Because not only in verse 1 and 2, but in verse 3 and 4, as David moves from the questions to the petitions and reaches out for the Lord, we have to ask ourselves, who is David speaking to? The Lord. He's speaking still to the Lord. You feel you have lost hope, but you have not actually lost hope. You're still talking to the Lord, you could put it that way. He's on talking terms still with God. Feelings of hopelessness are real feelings, but they are not themselves evidence of a hopeless state. That's good news. That is wonderful news because it means there's a foundation below your feet much greater than how you sometimes feel. God had not left David. God has not left us his people. He will not leave his people. And what's striking here and insightful is that when our faith or hope appears or feels like it is collapsing, it's in that very time that faith begins to operate powerfully. That's what's happening here in this, in this psalm. He feels distress, and what does he do? His faith begins to reach and to grab on. And he says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. That's what faith does when the dark clouds loom over our lives. Consider, answer me, O oh Lord my God. It presses toward the Lord. And, and that's the primary request. He's seeking for the presence or the face of God. And you see the word Lord a few times or a couple times mentioned. It's all capitals indicating this is the personal and covenant name of God, that name that underlines his, his complete faithfulness, the promise-keeping God, the present God. Consider and answer me, O Lord. David is essentially saying, in, in, in those words, consider and answer me. Lord, would you turn this way? Would you simply look this way? Would you give your attention here That you would see my lot and what I am experiencing. Would you know my pain? This is very much an expression of of what we might call a childlike faith. Uh, Have you ever felt neglected or ignored before? Perhaps by a parent or a teacher or a friend. I remember when our uh, son was just a couple years old and he had made his way into our bedroom, onto our bed early morning, onto the nightstand, had knocked over or taken off the lamp and he had turned it on and and he had put his hand on the light bulb. And at that age he didn't realize what that light bulb was and how hot it would be, and it probably took a second or two. And then the screams came. He needed certainly needed attention. A few years prior, our oldest daughter at that time, just a few years old, playing on the playground, Um, I don't know why they put large metal pieces of equipment for play toys on playgrounds, but this was a metal scooper, and it came down right on her finger, split right in half. First of all, we're not neglectful parents. We're We're good parents. We we gave attention. But could you imagine if in those instances a parent simply just ignored the deep pain that their their child felt? They'll be fine. David's feeling alone that, that no one knows, that no one understands. He's even wondering if God knows He's really saying to the Lord, if I just knew, or to himself, if I just knew that you knew where I was or how I feel, my condition, then all would be well. If I just knew that you knew, Lord. Then in the end, that's what we need to know. We need to know that he knows and that he knows what we need. And indeed, what we need is to know Him. We need to know that He knows. How is David, how is any believer able to move from this kind of distress or depression or sense of loneliness to trust and rejoicing and then to even singing? As he expresses in verse 5 and 6, I have a dear friend in Christ who is now in his late 60s. I met him about 10, 11 years ago. When I met him, I learned of how he came to Christ and his past. He had lost his first wife to cancer at about the age of 42. And that time, he told me, was so distressing, so difficult, he'd lost much of his hair, and the hair that he had that remained turned white. It was such physical stress for him. Uh, by the time I had met him, he was in his late 50s, and a couple years after I had known him, he lost his son in a tragic car accident. The car actually exploded. His body burned. His son was in his mid to late 20s. I served at the memorial service. And then about a year or two after that, he suffered from a heart attack. He was a great stonemason, is on a job site and seemingly healthy person, but he had, I guess they call it a widow-maker, full blockage. CPR was done very well, uh, preserved and saved his life. And I remember being at his uh, bedside in the hospital and just praying with him and thinking to myself, what, what all this man has endured, yet he is one of the most gentle, gracious, devout Christian men that I know. Now that's interesting how... Usually in our minds, times of great stress and distress and difficulty and loss don't go with rejoicing and gentleness and and devotion. But for the Christian, that's exactly what happens. When those who are outside of Christ experience suffering, it often hardens the heart all the more. But those in Christ, during those times, it will cause a deeper trust in the Lord that's part of the purpose of suffering or times in which we feel lonely. We don't ever pray or ask for that, but they're ordained by God to disclose where our trust actually lies in life. And I will say, over the last year, it's one of the reasons I give thanks in the midst of the pandemic and the various disruptions it has caused or the political angst. I give thanks in the midst of that personally, in the midst of personal hardship, because we don't see as clearly where our trust lies until we are shaken. David could say, but I have trusted in your steadfast love not because he felt a certain stability or comfort in his circumstances, not because justice was reigning around him in the culture, but because at the deepest level he knew the character of God. This is a God of steadfast love. Therefore, I trust in him. To trust, it's to lean upon the Lord. We think of Proverbs. Trust in the Lord. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He'll make straight our paths. To lean upon the Lord as our trust. And then this trust, it leads to rejoicing. I can rejoice if I'm standing upon a firm foundation. Even if the clouds of life are dark at times, I can rejoice because of who my God is and the fact that he has me. And then that joy leads to singing. I will sing to the Lord. In our own loneliness or in our own distress, might we look to Christ, this one who entered into our pain, who took upon himself that sense of abandonment, or indeed abandonment, who cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? who bore upon Himself our sin and guilt that we might know life and peace, this God who didn't spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? To trust, to rejoice, to sing. That depends in great part upon turning to the Lord. This is what David was doing in the midst of his suffering perhaps some of you saw the words from pastor bill clark and cecilia yesterday that went through the prayer chain i took hold of not only their words but the reference to isaiah 49 isaiah 49 verses 14 through 16 they Pastor Bill and Cecilia wrote, May these words encourage us all. Verse 14 reveals what we sometimes think in times of trial and hardship. And then they say, verses 15 and 16, Give the clear and resounding answer of the Lord. May God give us faith to believe or trust in His steadfast love and care for us all. And here's the text. Isaiah forty-nine fourteen. But Zion, the people of God, said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. He says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Though the walls of Jerusalem had been in rubble at the result of the Babylonian invasion, still Isaiah from the Lord could say and see the walls established, restored again. And that's what faith does. Faith is able to see and to cling to that which may not be a present reality. And yet we trust in the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your goodness to us and uh, for your grace that causes us to rest deeply upon you. We pray, Lord, that in this time that you would be merciful to us, your people, that we would have a new season indeed, Lord, a fresh season of knowing what trust looks like and that it would cause a rejoicing in our hearts and that we would be a people who sing even in the midst of uh, apparent dark clouds at times in our own lives or in the ministry of your church. Lord, may we be a people who rejoice because of who you are, God of steadfast love. We thank you that you are immutable and unchanging, Lord, to your character. You are faithful and a refuge to us. Continue to be our our guide and our shepherd. Uh, Lord, that we might know confidence and trust in you. And we pray all these things with thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.